T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome back to Hardline. We've got Dr. Jacob Nyheisel here from the University of Buffalo. Dr. Uh, Nyheisel, in 1953... The Skyway started construction, all right? This was 1.6 miles from the Inner Harbor over the Buffalo River. It goes down into Route 5, which carries on for another, you know, two and a half, three miles uh, there. It opens in 1955, and at that time, the Kensington and the Skajakwita were under construction. And we're talking the Eisenhower era, rapid transit, post-war. This is the modern jewel. There are very few people that have been talking Skyway effectively with the same messaging as Representative Brian Higgins from New York 26. He is kind enough to join us on the live line. Sir, thank you for taking time on your Sunday. Thanks for having me with you. Okay, so uh, Representative Higgins, here's the thing. We, we just heard uh, about, I'm trying to get into the history of how we, we got here. And if we go back to the 50s when this thing, 110 feet tall, when, when this thing was constructed, there wasn't a plan for the inner harbor, the outer. There was no plan for the waterfront in Buffalo outside of commercial enterprise. That's right. <clears throat> Buffalo was an industrial working waterfront. Uh, the Buffalo River was filled with oil refineries. Uh, uh, chemical companies, steel companies, grain companies, and uh, typically raw material was brought uh, to those uh, businesses uh, via Great Lakes freighters. And uh, finished product was also exported out of Buffalo. And Buffalo was a major port of midshipment. Uh, what happened was a number of things. The world economy had changed. Uh, but the St. Lawrence Seaway opened, uh, which basically bypassed Buffalo, which was once uh, the world's largest port of midshipment. And with that, uh, a lot of the Great Lakes uh, industrial activity had ended. And uh, we you know, continued to maintain this structure that was built. Uh, the design was influenced almost. Now, now in, in 2017, you, you got a, a, trend, a tremendous amount of media attention about, you know, bringing essentially pedestrian traffic is cut off because of the Skyway's placement. That's right. And, and one of your arguments, and, and I've heard other people sort of extrapolate the Higgins argument that it's, you know, it's not a question of, of an eyesore. You know, I think so many people look at this and say, well, it's a cosmetic blight on the city. Some people see it as traditional part of Buffalo, and, and the, this is the terrain of Buffalo since 1955. But you're actually looking at it as to become a vibrant, healthy city, you have to have access to the areas that are the biggest draw in Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't, first of all, the, the, the Skyway wouldn't be approved for construction today because of safety issues. Um, you know, the, the, the Skyway has no shoulders, uh, so if a car breaks down, you're down to one lane. Uh, also, as you know, the uh, Skyway is closed, you know, a dozen times a year for wind, snow, or a combination of both. Uh, 
so, um, you know, my argument is both, you know, utilitarian, but it's also aesthetics, and uh, we're underperforming as a waterfront city today uh, because of the limitation that the Skyway imposes on us. For example, if you look at Canal Side today, the Explore More Museum, which Explore More is a great, great operation. They're in, they're in East Aurora currently. Uh, they're going to have a waterfront site. Uh, but the design is compromised because the Skyway's in the way. You'll notice underneath the Skyway and the underbelly of the Skyway, there's actually shielding uh, to protect uh, people who are at Canal Side because of debris falling from both the structure and automobiles. Now, you did a, an environmental impact uh, study. You had a statement in 2016. And one of the things that you found was that you know, if if there was a Buffalo Harbor Bridge, that would cost roughly $90 million, $10 million for the demolition of the current Skyway. But if we keep the Skyway the way it is, over the next 10 years, we're going to spend $50 million just to upkeep the Skyway. Probably more like $70 million to, to, uh, to maintain the Skyway. So it's really comes, it comes down to this. You can either invest in the past or you can invest in the future. And, you know, we have made good progress as a city, collectively, uh, uh, in terms of, you know, waterfront development in the last 10 years. But that is in a context of 75 years where nothing happened, but every, you know, everybody talked about it. We studied the Skyway or the, the waterfront uh, excessively, but no actual construction. We have five master plans for the Buffalo Waterfront. They all said the same thing. Uh, reserve the, the water's edge for public access and uh, create, you know, a nice complement of parks and uh, new investment will come. None of that happened. But here's what I'm telling you. You know, we're just getting warmed up in terms of waterfront development. The best is yet to come. Uh, we have made progress, but that's about 30 percent of the build-out potential uh, for the Buffalo waterfront. And when you look at waterfront cities, great waterfront cities uh, worldwide and, and, and throughout America, uh, the transportation system is fundamental to that. So the Skyway's in the way. It's larger than it has to be. It's higher than it has to be. And thus, it's more expensive to maintain moving forward. So what we often say, what I have often said, I just want to position Buffalo to make smart decisions about its future, and that includes its transportation future. Well, I was going to say that the Federal Highway Administration calls uh, the Skyway functionally obsolete as the only bridge in New York State that each year has to close because of weather. And when you focus on the future, now this is now in the news because basically a warrant was put out, a $100,000 award for people that come up with the best ideas to replace the Skyway. And my question is for Congressman Higgins, what are you going to do with $100,000? Because shouldn't you get it? I mean, you're the one who's been talking about this. Isn't it the Buffalo Harbor Bridge? Uh, no, not really. I mean, look, there are, there are a lot of creative people out there. And there's a lot of design firms that are very, very interested in participating in this competition. The good thing is we're going to have a lot of options. And you know what? We don't have any options right now because the only option really is to continue to waste money in, uh, in rehabilitating uh, the Skyway. So within six months, uh, we will have a lot of options. From there, uh, we will uh, pursue 
uh, an alternative to the Skyway. Uh, just, you know, just on the issue of, of the, the, the excessive costs associated with the Skyway, you know, because the Skyway is so high, 110 feet above the water surface, when the temperature reaches near three freezing, the ambient temperature, the, the, the State Department of Transportation excessively salts the Skyway as a precautionary measure. But you know what excessive salt does to the road surface and the steel that supports it? It prematurely uh, 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 corrodes it. And these are the kinds of things that we're dealing with. So, you know, the maintenance, uh, it's, it's a lot of premature deterioration because of its design, including its height. So there are all kinds of factors that wouldn't be immediately evident that, uh, that contribute uh, to the same conclusion, and that is we can do much better uh, as a city, and I am committed. I am committed to challenging the limits of what is possible uh, for Buffalo and its waterfront. And it took a while, as you know, but the governor getting on board, you know, think about this, in the third month of a new term, a new four-year term, indicates that, you know, he too uh, is committed to providing the resources that are necessary, including saying to his own Department of Transportation, we're moving on this. Enough talk, we're moving. So I think people should be, you know, prepared to expect good and great things, and I'm prepared to be held accountable for this. Congressman, thank you for joining us. Um, we'll talk about the the governor's plans for that money here here in a little more in a second. But uh, just wanted to to ask you, um, you know, as you've been saying, like so many parts of the the Eisenhower era uh, interstate highway system, the Skyway isn't working for us. But if you had your druthers, what's a checklist that you would put out there to say the following things have to be met in order for any new plan to to move forward to to replace the Skyway? What what's your ideal project look like? Well, first of all, you have to move. 40,000 people every day from the south towns of Buffalo to downtown Buffalo and from downtown Buffalo back to the south towns. Uh, That is what uh, the design has to take into consideration. You know, people will say, well, how am I going to get there? I mean, you're not going to remove the thing without alternatives. I do, however, believe that we have an infrastructure in this city that was built for a population that is half of what it was. And therefore, some of these streets South Park Avenue, uh, Seneca Street, uh, uh, William, Broadway, Genesee. You drive down these streets at rush hour in the morning, and nobody's utilizing this infrastructure. So with, you know, synchronized uh, traffic signaling, uh, just a wiser, smarter use of what we have before we just, you know, build something else. How about the removal of of the tolls uh, at Hamburg? Uh, so that people, you know, in the morning, they avoid the tolls. How do you avoid the tolls? You take the skyway as opposed to the, to the, the, the throughway. So it's just, it's just about, you know, really, again, positioning Buffalo to make a smart decision. What are the alternatives? Uh, tunneling's a possibility. Tunneling technology has gotten much better since the Big Dig project. Uh, the Big Dig project in Boston has fundamentally changed, uh, you know, an already great city into one that is much more livable, uh, with a lot of parks and a lot of development that's uh, a direct result of the completion of that project. Uh, a structure that is further inland. Uh, right now, the Skyway sits on 30 acres of what could potentially be very valuable land for redevelopment. 
Uh, but, you know, the Skyway is such a monstrosity in terms of its structure. Uh, it sits on those, those, those valuable uh, acres of land. So moving it inland uh, to, uh, to align perhaps with the railroad track, that's been talked about. There's a lot of people uh, in this community that have commented on the Skyway, and they, you know, those comments are very valuable. I think what the governor is attempting to do here uh, with uh, Senator Tim Kennedy is bring good ideas to life. And I think that, you know, when you look at the history of Buffalo, I was very fortunate. Uh, I used to teach history and economics at Buffalo State College, and they allowed me uh, to, to write and to teach a course called The Economic History of Buffalo in Western New York. And I basically used the, the books by local historian Mark Goldman, High Hopes, The Rise and Decline of Buffalo, New York, uh, City on the Lake. Uh, it is a great chronology of a city that, in 1901, with the eighth largest economy in the entire nation, uh, architects from all over the world—they uh, didn't—they they weren't from Buffalo. They came to Buffalo because Buffalo had a, a self-confidence and the financial resources to say to creative people, "You can get your vision turned into something real in this city." And I just think that what happened to Buffalo historically is that. The city leadership, both the political leadership and the corporate leadership, a long time ago, uh, in the decade of the 1950s, became complacent. They thought that good economic times were going to continue and did nothing to adjust for changes in a world economy and the kinds of changes that we had to make as a community uh, to survive economically, to keep our young people here. And as you know, today, for the first time in 40 years, uh, the population of young Buffalo is increasing, not decreasing. Uh, Buffalo is the talk of the nation. The, 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 the fa- fastest-growing neighborhood in Western New York is downtown Buffalo. But that momentum doesn't do us any good unless it can be sustained. And I think projects like this, uh, projects like the Skajakwara, that's going to be addressed. Projects like the 33, it's not either or, it's all of them uh, in the context of a city that's confident about itself. Is it safe to say that if you went back to, you know, that era in the 50s when, you know, it, it seems like the, the decline started to, there, there wasn't this, the idea was to try to bring Buffalo back to where it was at the turn of the century, that it was just a design flaw, it was a lack of creativity to see where the, where the city was going to grow? Uh, I think I, I think complacency and laziness, to be truthful. Uh, I, I think that uh, the city... What is our strength? What is constant? Uh, our close proximity to water. We were the city of light, in fact, and in fiction. Uh, you know, we learned to turn the natural environment into hydroelectricity over 100 years ago. Unfortunately, in 1957, uh, an act of Congress, the Niagara Redevelopment Act, took all that power <laughs> that you once had to be in the Buffalo area to take advantage of it and exported it to New York City and to seven states outside of New York. You know, we don't make an economic claim to Florida sunshine. Why is it that, you know, people make an economic claim to the unique natural resources, uh, a lake that feeds a river whose water is diverted, who uh, that produces the cleanest, cheapest electricity in the United States? Why does everybody grab that? And I think what we were able to do in, in 2005 through a federal relicensing process, we won a $300 million settlement, which is now financing 
you know, the, the redevelopment of Buffalo's waterfront. Uh, we still have $80 million left to improve existing public access opportunities uh, along Buffalo's waterfront and to create new ones. So I, I just think that, you know, it, it, it was human nature. People didn't, you know, they, they thought, well, the St. Lawrence Seaway is going to open, but Great Lakes Freighters will st- still find their way to Buffalo. Well, they didn't. They found a more efficient transportation road. Uh, so hope isn't, isn't a strategy, but it, but, it, but it does put emphasis behind a strategy. Where, where do you think uh, Western New Yorkers stand on rail? And why haven't uh, there been more of a solid movement to get Southtown, Northtown commuters? You, know, you look at other cities, that's, a, a, you know, 40,000 people, that's, that's a lot of traffic. It doesn't mean that you need Penn Station. But yeah. is there, are Buffalonians just not, we're not accustomed to something, so we never embraced it? Or was it that the Metro Rail probably didn't have the best rollout, you know, with access to downtown and the way that that happened in the uh, mid-'80s? Yeah, well, it was, you know, the White Record Rail transit system in Buffalo was uh, a jobs creation project. Uh, we really didn't need it because ease of access from point A to point B is is a feature in Buffalo and Western New York. We don't really have uh, the kind of traffic jams that other you know areas uh, do. Uh, it, the, the policy was born out of an energy crisis in Washington. So what the federal government did, it made available lots of money to communities to do light rapid rail transit systems to, uh, to, to, so that we would become less dependent on foreign oil. So I think Buffalo built the light rapid rail transit system, which obliterated <laughs> Main Street in downtown Buffalo uh, uh, for you know, the wrong reasons. We needed the jobs because the steel plant was closing. Uh, other industries, as I mentioned, along the Buffalo River, uh, Republic Steel, Buffalo Color, uh, that used to make all the, uh, the, uh, the dye. Uh, for blue jeans in the entire country. Um, that was Buffalo Color. Uh, mobile, mobile oil was an oil refinery. Uh, it then became an, uh, a, a gasoline distribution center, but it's now closed. So with that, uh, you know, thousands of jobs. So I think we built it for the wrong reasons. And uh, uh, so, you know, we're just beginning to repurpose, I guess, if, if, if you will, the, the metro rail system as a a commuter system from important points in downtown Buffalo, like from Canal Side to places like the Buffalo Niagara Medical Campus, where great job growth and great potential job growth is occurring uh, each and every day. Uh, so that's beginning to change uh, downtown Buffalo, but, but the city's changing. Uh, but I just think that we have to always be anticipating where the next needs are, and I just don't want this community to become complacent, uh, as it did in the 1950s. You know, I mentioned the St. Lawrence Seaway opened in 1959, 1957. Buffalo gets bamboozled with an act of Congress called the Niagara Redevelopment Act that takes all the hydropower uh, out of Buffalo and exports it all over the place. Um, you know, there were other issues as well, but it was, a, it was a tough decade for Buffalo. But the point was the economy wasn't bad then. It was... Uh, it was going to get much more challenging in the 60s, 70s, and 80s because of the things that occurred during that decade. And how one bad decision could take almost 70 years to, to fix. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, um, but you know what? I just, you know, people, the other thing is there's a, 
in, in my classes, we would talk about, you know, the, the economy is highly psychological. It's how you and I feel about our economic future. If we're confident, we move. We, we, we buy things. When people buy things, people make things. When people make things, people work. When people work, they're productive. They're less dependent on government. They're more economically independent and self-sufficient. That's true socioeconomically as well. And I think Buffalo is, we all know, you know, we are kind of in a funk. You know, I remember, remember the, the controversial goal during the NHL, you know, finals, and uh, people were driving around in Buffalo for 10 years with bumper stickers that said no goal or wide right. And I think that that is indicative of the mindset of the community at, at that point. Um, so those days are over. And, and, and I just want to be in a position and, you know, we got great. I, I, I just let me take a moment. Timmy Kennedy uh, is uh, in, in the state Senate. Now he went in three months from a, a minority member to a majority member. He now finds himself as, as chairman of, of the transportation committee. Tim Kennedy's role, he is leveraged to really do some great things in this community his ascension to that position represents an inflection point. And politicians, you know, it's all about leverage. If you've got it, use it to benefit the community, uh, not yourself, but the, the community. And if you don't have it, you have nothing to leverage. Tim Kennedy is using his newfound leverage to move this project forward and move many other projects forward as a young visionary representative of, of this community. And that's a good thing for us. Hey, you know, I really appreciate your time, Representative Higgins. Thank you. Uh, you're always welcome on the program. Thank you, sir. All right. That's Congressman Brian Higgins. We're going to take a quick break. We come back more of Hardline. Welcome back to Hardline. We've got Dr. Jacob Neuheisel here, and your calls 803-0930 for the Republican line, 644-9875, the Democratic line. We just heard from Congressman Brian Higgins. Uh, he referenced the $100,000, I don't know if you're going to call it, bounty, bounty? warrant. The bounty, <laughs> the warrant put out for ideas, right? What, what, in, the, in America's history, do we have, you know, I, we talked before the program right. about, you know, the CIA no longer is in the business of assassinating heads of state. But we have no problem putting a bounty on the head of Osama bin Laden's son, as was right. just announced. You know, we'll, we'll give $17 million to kill bin Laden's kid. That's not the CIA doing it. It's saying, you do it. If you want to kill him, we'll give you money. But I've never, this idea that, like, why not give $500,000 to the person who could come up with an idea of balancing the budget? Right. Or paying for, you know, Social Security. I'm really racking my brain. I'm having a hard time coming up with uh, a corollary to this. I, it, it seems somewhat new. Um, it's certainly not new in the private world. It's certainly not new when it comes to um, non-governmental organizations or, or various honorary societies saying, hey, we have this prize money here. We want to build this thing. Uh, let's appeal to the wisdom of crowds and come up with some kind of plan that we can implement. And, you know, you're going to get some publicity for that. Um, one of the first things that comes to mind is the Vietnam Memorial was initially private money. And I, I think government money came in later. So it was a, a public-private partnership at some point. But the initial award money was coming from a private entity. And there was a, a design contest and it was anonymous. And, and a, a woman uh, came forward and, and won with, with her idea and... It was then implemented, and it's right there on, on the mall. 
And so I can think of those kinds of examples. I'm having a hard time coming up with ones that are really government-led. I mean, that normally if the, that's... If, if, but you're right. If the Bills wanted to build a stadium, they would send out contracts to people to give the best ideas. Private in, entities do it all the time. I mean, it, to some extent, the military does it quite a bit when right. they say, we're looking for a new rifle, give us all your prototypes, but... The winner of that doesn't get a prize. No, they, get a, they get a contract, which <laughs> and is NSN billion, number and yeah, all that and other good stuff. Billions and billions of dollars. But but when I look at like the the Skyway and the idea, I mean, surely you're going to get some really. I'm sure there's going to be some zany. You know, we heard people talking about putting condos on it, and you know, other things like that. Really cold magnets. That's right, <laughs> right. But but I mean, you're going to get some crazy ideas, but you're obviously going to get some. You know, engineer, some brilliant guy that yeah. probably never even thought of this until there was $100,000 on the line. Yeah, I mean, I, this is no value judgment here. It's just something that I can't think of another salient example of. It, it, it seems new. It could work. I, I don't know that there's any evidence out there saying it doesn't work. And, you know, the I science. Mean, that, we, we did it. Uh, new York State did it when it came to the power grid in New York State. There was, uh, what was it? Uh, Polytech uh, Institute. Oh, the SUNY Polytech. SUNY Polytech had this idea. And that actually became a huge corruption. That's oh, yeah. one of the things that brought down Prococo and, and Simonelli and everyone else was the you know, Buffalo Billion, the UB2020, this whole idea that, you know, the, what what is the future of the power grid? Are we going to... Uh, you know, expand microgrids all over the state. Who better to do right. it than, you know, someone that, that works in that industry in New York State? Uh, but, and there was a prize for that as well. I learn every day about new SUNYs that are out there. <laughs> yeah, that's really true. That, that is a growing thing. Hey, let's go to the phones on the Republican line. It's John in Rochester. John, uh, your thoughts on the Skyway? Hey, D- hey, Dave. Hey, Professor. Yeah, you know, I hate to admit this, but... One of my first memories growing up in the Buffalo area was uh, we used to, I remember when the Skyway opened up. Honestly, God, I was probably four or five years old, and uh, my grandfather lived in Lackawanna, so we would take the Skyway to get to, get to Lackawanna uh, from, the, uh, from Niagara Street. But, but anyway, uh, he mentioned uh, the big dig in the Boston uh, Tunnel. Uh, Brian did. Right, right. And uh, you guys probably remember this. The initial cost yeah. <laughs> it was going to be $3 billion. Right. Right now, they're at about $16 billion, And I just read an article that uh, they, they're, they're, quite, they're not finished yet because they have defects. Right. Oh, yeah. $2 billion, the total cost. Yeah. Well, to, to be honest, a lot of the technology that you're seeing today when it comes to tunnels really was created because of that. They, they, they really didn't know what they were getting themselves into. And there were a lot of teething problems. I, I think the one yeah. example of that was they, they tried a new epoxy for some things on the ceiling that ended and up. And the, free, the, the freeze you know. uh, point was right. crazy. And, and, of course, you had unions and everyone else that was you know, cutting off the top, too. But th- that project is – every time someone brings it up, I think everyone cringes. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, remember Paris tried the, with the channel. They had – you know, that was the model, you know, uh, uh, engineering mm-hmm. of its time in the late 90s, early 2000s. Right. And they had no issues on budget. It was well done. Yeah, it's held up as a model for everyone else. And then, and, and then so Boston's like, well, hold my beer. <laughs> you know, we got this. And it, and it literally is almost five times what they yeah. estimated it to be. So we have examples that it clearly works, but hopefully we can 
if that were to be the winning submission, get out without the teething problems well, of the well, big e- dig. Elon Musk is doing a, a tunnel allegedly through underneath Los Angeles. And again, his technology, all these patent-pended uh, you know, digging machines and whatnot, but that is supposed to be you know, on schedule, and it appears to be, it's expensive, but it's it's not anywhere compared to what Boston was. Right. Well, they're talking about an, another tunnel, New, the New York uh, City area, I guess, and uh, uh, Trump put the kibosh on that, I guess. But which I could be good because you know I heard they're, they're uh, I read and heard that they're expanding one of the uh, rapid transits in New York City at a cost of five hundred. And fifty thousand dollars per foot. This is uh, one of my concerns about these public work projects. When you have prevailing wage, and the unions which which have a monopoly over these public projects, I'm afraid uh, a tunnel it, to replace the skyway. And I, I, th- I thought Brian brought up some good points why we don't why we should uh, revise that plan uh, for transportation and land use, but. I'm afraid about the uh, when the government gets involved. Uh, an argument for right to work legislation. Well, I don't know why you would have any doubt when the government gets involved in bidding projects, John. From the wonderful history that we've had, but but honestly, if you're going to give a hundred thousand dollars for the idea, wouldn't it be? Also, equally as impressive if they allowed the bidding process for all these jobs to be as transparent. Yeah, well, absolutely. And you know, I mean, if you got a small concrete company, you want to throw your hat in the ring, uh, go ahead and do it. Yeah. Well, Solar City is a good, good example of that. That's for sure. Well, you, but listen, Obama when he ran for president in two thousand seven, he was talking about all government jobs would basically have like an eBay approach. That there would be a website, you could make your bid, everyone could see who's bidding on it. It was a hundred. So if you wanted to mow the lawn at the White House and you had a landscaping company. Go ahead and do that. I mean, how, how is it that all of these jobs end up going to, you know, Kellogg, Brown and Root and Halliburton and, you know, all these different because they you don't even know what they're bidding on. You have no access or no visibility on what the what the projects are. And so people get them in dark, smoky rooms and you never find out. It, it would be a, I think that would be a, a nice little, you know, if you want to think outside the box, start bidding on things and, and let uh, private contractors do it, too. Well, I'll tell you, I, uh, that's that's a that's another issue. Uh, some I've I've been on some government contracts once in a while, and and some of the uh, gyrations they put you through in the contracts are un are just not uh, conducive to a small business. I'll give you an example. Uh, I think it was in the city of Buffalo. I put a bid in for some work, and uh, I read the contract and. In the language, they basically said, I have to make a commitment to uh, bring into the company minority partners uh, at some point in the future. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I actually uh, respond. Well, that's, you know, that's part of, that's the uh, the big. And I, and I have nothing against minorities, but if, if I'm going to bring a minority person in, it's somebody who is going to contribute to. Uh, the company. If you go behind the, the, the guys who win contracts on a regular basis, 
they already understand the equal opportunity requirements. Mm-hmm. They'll find a disabled veteran on the board. They'll throw, you know, as many. Oh, it's extra points. Ex- absolutely. And so if they could find as many folks as they possibly can, you get yourself a transgendered Muslim cleric. All of a sudden, boom, you've got that box checked and you win contracts that way. That's the way it works. And, you know, obviously you don't want to. Th- there was a day where if you were black, you couldn't get a job anywhere because of your skin color. And the overcompensation for that has been a reward system, but it does put people in weird spots where all of a sudden you're just a, an entrepreneur, self-proprietary uh, company, and you've got to go hire someone that you don't know just because you want to be able to compete. John, excellent call. Appreciate that. Uh, we will take uh, what do you want to take a quick one? We'll take a quick break. We come back. More of your calls. 803-0930 on the Republican line, 644-9875 on the Democratic line. Dr. Jacob Nyheisel, myself. It's hardline. Welcome back to Hardline. We've got some phone calls. Dr. Nyheisel, what do you think? You want to take them? Absolutely. All right, let's go with Bill in Williamsville. Bill, you're on the Republican line, sir. You're on with uh, you're on Hardline. What's going on? Love intelligent people. Well, you're out of luck today. What's <laughs> up? What's on room. your mind? Hey, was that, I wasn't sure if that was Dave. Was that you or was that the doctor that answered that? I, I did. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, I just wanted to say um, I grew up in the uh, 50s, uh, and like uh, I was in the union for a while, but Buffalo's Buffalo, like a union, is very parallel and as far as the mentality. Because the unions, when they first took over, and again, I'm not a union activist, or I, I believe and don't believe in unions, but the fact is, um, Buffalo has kind of followed like the unions. The kids took over, and then things went bad. So Buffalo has always had a very big proficiency uh, in the 50s and up to today, unlike the turn of the century when we were one of the most powerful cities in the world, banking industry everything was unbelievable because i think they were really they were working and working working and like uh, higgins was saying uh different things the politicians the government people look at it almost like it's a separate world or separate entity the unfortunate thing is especially in new york state it's kind of like abused children or spouses in a psychology they gravitate towards the abuser, and that's what most of the people in New York State do. They gravitate towards the abuser. That's why we have people like Cuomo and that. Um, they've got to get out of it. We have a waterfront that 365 days a year that's been held hostage by the NFTA and other entities for years. Government is either a help or a hindrance, and I think from the 50s up to today, I think that the government and Buffalo and New York State, like David mentions and I've mentioned in the past, it's been a hindrance to business and that why I think so many people are leaving. And, and Cuomo finally woke up the other day and, and decided or, or came to reality that uh, because of New York State taxes, that that's why people are leaving. They're too high. and It's like what, whatever. So anyways, I, I think we have a beautiful area. We've got a lot of great things, the waterfront. 365 days a year. Let's see condos. Let's see amusements. Let's see casinos. Let's see building. Let's see everything. Get, yeah, get over this. Just like the Peace Bridge, they go on and on and on and on and on. And it's just, it's almost like the boy cried wolf. After a while, you, nobody listens anymore. So, anyways, God bless you. Have a great day. Appreciate it, Bill. Uh, what do you think about that? No, I think he's absolutely right in some respect. I mean, government can be a helping hand or it can be a grabbing hand, and it's got to be part of the story of, of where we are today. Other parts of the story were, as the, the congressman w- was saying, which is 
we kind of stuck our head in the sand in the 1950s and didn't think that anything was ever going to change. And then, oh, look, the United States is no longer the sole producer of any industrial good because the rest of the world is, you know, after being leveled, now has rebuilt with more modern technology. But you, you, you can almost understand now that you're a Buffalonian coming from another Rust Belt region. You, Oddly the same in but, but It's very similar, but there was, you know, they, there was a renaissance in Cleveland. There was a renaissance right. in Pittsburgh. Buffalo's finally getting to where those cities were 25 years ago when they started to, you know, I mean, Pittsburgh went from, they had a steel industry. Mm-hmm. They went to hosting a G8 summit. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's a pretty big accomplishment to do in 20 years, uh, you know, so Buffalo is right there too. Uh, hopefully mm-hmm. on on the rise. Let's go to uh, Henry and Elma, sir. The Skyway. What's on your mind? Well, I would really. Uh, I prefer to keep the Skyway. I think it's a, a signature entrance to Buffalo, but it looks like it's going to go. So, you know, all you have to do is look at a map, and uh, if you put a bridge from South Michigan Avenue over to Furman or use Ohio Street to get to Furman Boulevard, it might be necessary to upgrade some of those streets, but you could do it for uh, uh, probably uh, $25. So, um, you know, just send 100000 to me anytime you... <laughs> <laughs> we'll split it with you. Check uh, or money order to Henry and Elma. That's right. Hey, Henry, good call. Appreciate that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's not $25, but he's saying, you know, there could be other things that you could do for a fraction of the cost of $90 million. But one of the things I give uh, uh, Congressman Higgins a lot of credit for is that you know, he is a, he studied the history of, of Buffalo. Oh, yes. He understands the things that we've done well, the things that we haven't done well. And it's going to take someone that has a vision of 70 years in the future. And it's not a lot of, a lot of times you see that in right. the Northeast United States where people are planning, you know, right now Dubai is doing that. Yeah. Saudi Arabia is thinking 70 years in the future. But Why not us? Yeah, why not Western New York as well? I think some of that is, is mentality. I, I might get some hate mail for this, but Buffalo kind of has a peculiar mindset where it's yeah it's buffalo we'll get along and it's true we're very resilient people we're very hardy people but part of that buffalo will get along means that we're not really looking that far ahead because we've (laughs) always done okay if you don't like the weather don't come here yeah exactly yeah and unfortunately you know but but listen the the more another uh, huge part of you know seeing these businesses that are here and the generational shift it's not just a matter of you know folks coming from outside of buffalo but the age in which they're coming from right. outside of Buffalo. If you've got a big influx from New York City folks, but they were in their 60s and 70s, that's a totally different mindset, you know, than you've got 20 and 30-year-old people settling their families and saying, hey, I want 20 years of, you know, clean environment, good streets, right. well-policed, and, and things like that. That's a huge part of growth. And we're really well-positioned to take... Uh, advantage of some some trends that are gone. We have water. I mean, that's that's unusual uh, for a lot of places that have grown in the past and they have water issues. Think of the American Southwest. We're we're well positioned in that regard. And I, I think that if we have a long term plan, we can take advantage of the resources that are here and that have always been here and, and use them to the best of our of our ability. Well, look out, Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> here we come. Hey, that's the show. We'll be back next week. Up next is Meet the Press. And uh, one thing we don't get enough credit for is Buffalo's commuter airport. One of the best airports in the country for what it does. You know, I mean, 
A lot of people compliment how easy it is to travel through. The TSA do an outstanding job, but they don't get in the way. Uh, the w- lines aren't long, but they're putting a lot of people on planes, yep. and uh, they do it in a safe and quick manner. Part of the reason I came here, easy access. It's great. Yeah, no, but the, the airport doesn't get enough credit, and they're going to upgrade the airport, put another $80 million bucks of free money. Is 100000 that development money for ideas? I I 100000 to find out how to get Aunt Annie's pretzel on the other side of the TSA. <laughs> That's what we're going to try to do. Hey, uh, we are Hardline, Dr. Jacob Nyheisel, and uh, myself will be back next week. More topics, more interviews, everything you want to hear, and maybe some things you don't. Probably not, actually. It's Hardline. Up next is Meet the Press. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 